Greetings, adventure. Welcome to the D20 Academy podcast. I'm your host, Shell Kaneshiro, and this is episode 34, Class Spotlight on the Paladin. Hey guys, welcome to this month's Class Spotlight. This is the segment where I spend an entire episode breaking down a 5th edition D&D class and give you guys its basic description, its strengths and weaknesses, some key features, a summary of its subclasses, and the playstyle it, it, it best fits. Um, this is to help uh, new players kind of learn more about the classes and for people to figure out what kind of classes they want to play, or even for DMs who want to learn more about their uh, the, the classes that, that their players are playing without delving too much into like the book and everything. Um, guys, we are halfway through class spotlights. There are 12 classes in the base player's handbook, and uh, we've already done six of them, so we're, we're about halfway through these class spotlights. They've been a lot of fun, and I think they've been really helpful for some of you guys from what I've heard. Um, so we're just going to keep doing it till we get all 12 done. Uh, this week is on the Paladin. This is, this is a great class. It's a really fun class. So I'm excited about today and to talk to you guys about it. But real quick, if you guys want to keep up to date with the podcast, what we're doing here, the other things we're doing at D20 Academy, apart from the podcast, you can go ahead and follow us at D20 underscore Academy. And also, if you have some friends who play D&D, love D&D, or uh, you have some friends you may want to get into D&D, you can share this podcast with them. Uh, it helps out a lot. I work really hard on these podcasts uh, every single week. And just be able to reach more people and help more people with the game. Uh, that's just such a really cool thing to me. Uh, real quick, I do want to note that we have no podcast episodes over the next two weeks. Um, next week is Christmas, and the week after that is New Year's. It's just I am extremely busy with so many things, um, so I won't be able to be able to release uh, a podcast episode those two weeks. But hopefully the week after that, beginning of 2020, uh, we will be back on track and I will be releasing uh, episodes weekly again. But without further ado, let's get into the Paladin. Okay, so paladins in D&D are kind of like holy righteous knights who faithfully serve an order or a deity. Um, they are driven by uh, something called a sacred oath and the tenets or the rules that define that oath. So what this means is um, paladins make an oath, whether it's to an order or to a, a, a religion or to a particular god. And depending on the kind of oath they take or who they're choosing to follow or what they're choosing to follow, they have a list of tenets or, or rules or laws that they, they abide by. Whether it's, you know, always protect the, the weak or always smite the darkness or protect nature or whatever it is, they have this list of rules depending on the kind of oath they make that defines their duty and what, they, uh, what, what, their, what their goal is. Um, what they're trying to accomplish and achieve. Um, now, paladins in combat and stuff are primarily frontliners. They're usually in the thick of the battle, in the middle of it, surrounded by baddies. Um, and they're also primarily weapon fighters. Armor, swords and shields, big axes, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and paladins also actually have a small amount of access to magic, um, which can help them in or outside of battle, depending on the spells that you choose. Um, paladins are healers, leaders, and soldiers, primarily. Um, they're kind of like a balance between fighters and clerics. They take the um, weapon combat-related aspects from fighter, um, so they kind of have the same hit dice as fighter. They have the same uh, like proficiencies with all the different kinds of weapons and uh, all that kind of stuff. But they also have the they they not only pull um, flavor and theme from the cleric, uh, as in like you know devoting themselves to something. It doesn't have to be a deity necessarily for a paladin, um, but devoting themselves to something and like following those rules and following those laws. Um, and also being able to get access to some magic, primarily divine magic and healing magic, uh, they kind of pull that from clerics. Um, so that's kind of a basic description of what a paladin is. Um, now, the stereotypical paladin is kind of the classic, like, white knight. 
um, the, the lawful good, holy, righteous character. They always do the right thing. They're always helping people, and, and they want to go out and defeat the evil. Um, now, as fantasy pop culture, and especially the, the Dungeons & Dragons subculture, has progressed and evolved over time, um, this stereotypical paladin um, has kind of become like a joke or a meme, sort of, um, and it kind of has, usually the paladin has a dynamic with the rogue or bard, who are typically portrayed as immoral, selfish kind of characters, you know, the rogue trying to, like, kill everyone or take everyone's money, or the bard trying to, the bard trying to, you know, sleep with everybody, um, and the paladin is kind of usually the, 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 the mirror to that in different, you know, memes or, or pop culture, basically, um, the paladin is seen as, like, the holy, righteous, white knight figure, um, but this doesn't necessarily mean that is what the, your paladin has to be. Um, just because the stereotypical paladin is this perfect, lawful, good knight who serves their order or their, their god, um, it, your, your paladin doesn't necessarily have to be that. Now, paladins work best, um, when they are typically of the good alignment, um, they're kind of made in that direction. Um, also, the lawful alignment as well, because they follow, like, an order and, and, and rules, um, that also works as well, which is why typically most paladins are lawful good, and there's, of course, nothing wrong with playing your stereotypical, uh, paladin. Those are still fun, interesting characters that you can still really dig into and have a lot of fun with, but even so, your paladin doesn't necessarily have to be like that, and a couple of the subclasses kind of stray away from that stereotype, as we'll see later on in this episode, um, and kind of define new new kinds of paladins who are still lawful and they still follow us, uh, an order, uh, you know, uh, rules uh, and such, but they're not necessarily a, a super moral, uh, good aligned uh, character. Now, real quick, there is a subclass, which I don't mention in this episode or go into lots of detail, that is featured in the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, which is called the Oathbreaker Paladin. It's, it's, it's a paladin who has breaking an oath, and it's much more evil death aligned. Um, so if you wanted to play a paladin more more uh, kind of pointing towards that, uh, a character who is kind of more evil or dark, um, taking that kind of Oathbreaker Paladin and reading up on that and what that means uh, is also a really cool dynamic as well and, and a really cool character idea. Um, now, paladin strengths. Um, strength, uh, paladins are one of the best, if not the full-on best class in 5th edition. Uh, and by best, I mean most powerful. Um, they are fantastic at frontlining, um, very good at just being in the thick of things, um, staying alive, uh, for sure. They usually have a very high armor class. Um, usually they're wearing, like, plate mail or something, you know, something that really heavy armor that gives them a high armor class. And they also have healing capabilities. Some healing capabilities come from class features, some from spells. Um, so they're good at staying alive. They're also very good at dealing damage. They are weapon fighters, uh, you know, weapon combatants like the fighter class. So they'll typically be using, like, swords or, or axes or mauls or something like that. Um, you could make a paladin who uses, like, a bow or something, a dexterity-based paladin. Probably won't be as strong as a strength-based paladin, but um, they are also very good at dealing damage. And though they don't have the same uh, crazy amount of stacking bonuses and such that fighters can get when dealing damage in combat, like how fighters can get, like, five attacks in a turn, and then action surge and get five more attacks at 20th level. Um, paladins do have certain class features that allow them to, like, deal more, deal way more damage or deal, like, radiant, more radiant damage. Um, I'll get into some of those later when I, when I feature different, uh, different class features. Um, paladins' strengths also come in minor buffs and spellcasting. Um, they are also kind of good leaders and, and characters who 
kind of heal and help their their allies. It would it's not as intense or as powerful as like a bard. Um, bards have very very good. Uh, they're very good at at buffing their allies and healing their allies. Um, but paladins not only do they have some healing capabilities and they can pick up healing spells like healing word or whatever, um, or spells like bless. Um, they also have these things called auras, which kind of this this area around them and the allies in that area get like a certain buff or a certain bonus, which also makes them uh, pretty good um, at at helping out their allies around them. Um, also, paladins are proficient in everything, like fighters, all weapons, shields, all armor, uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's a big strength of the paladin as well. That you can use anything uh, for for paladin and just really create a really really powerful fighter, because that means you can wear plate mail and wield a maul or great sword. Um, so you know those are that's the best armor. Those are the best weapons, um, and being proficient in those makes means that you can be really strong. Um, now weaknesses. So. Kind of with the main weakness, um, while not nearly as mechanically constricting as earlier editions, paladins are technically bound by their holy oath, the oath that they make. And they can lose their abilities when they break the tenets, break the rules of this oath. Though in 5th edition, this is kind of described as more up to the GM, and there's not really a lot of mechanical rules when it comes to breaking your oath and such. I, I kind of wish they did a little bit more about that. Same with, like, the warlock and, and them disobeying their patron. Um, but paladins, um, yeah, the, the, their kind of character is based around this this oath that they make. Um, that's kind of a big part of the flavor of a paladin. And in earlier editions, this was really constricting. I think in, in earlier editions, all paladins had to be lawful good or something like that. Um, so, like, your alignment had to be this kind of thing. If you broke a rule, like, you lost tons of abilities. So, in early editions, being a paladin means you really had to stick to your oath. And um, that was really cool, because it kind of gave the, the paladin a weakness, and the DM could use this and present problems in front of them where they have to make, like, a difficult decision and such, and it could make for really interesting character choices and interesting moments in that paladin's character arc. However, in 5th edition, it's not super mechanically constricting if they follow their tenets or not. Um, it's just kind of described like, oh, the GM, if you feel like the paladin isn't really following their oath, then you can, like, kind of hinder them or make them become an oathbreaker or whatever it is. Um, so that's kind of a weakness, I guess. Depends on how strict your DM is or how much they care about this. Um, also, paladins are not super versatile when it comes to combat. Um, what they do in combat is very good. <laughs> they are very powerful in combat. But their choices and their versatility within combat is not uh, is, is not a lot. Um, uh, more than the fighter, still, because they have some of these extra features and as well as spell casting, it gives them a little more decision making and options in combat. Um, but not as much as something like a monk or like a spellcaster. Um, typically, if you're playing a paladin, you're still going to be doing the walk up to the nearest, nearest baddie and whack him with a sword. Uh, <laughs> all right, getting on to race and background synergy. Now, I know I kind of talk about this every single time, but just in case this is your first class spotlight. What I'm about to do here is kind of talk about what races and backgrounds kind of work best with a paladin and which ones kind of work worse uh, for the paladin. Now, these, this, I'm not saying at all, these are the races and backgrounds you should choose if you're going to make a paladin. These are just kind of the stereotypical or the ones that would best, would make you the strongest paladin. As you know, races give different, you know, bonuses to different abilities. And so choosing a race that gives bonuses to the abilities that the paladins value would make choosing that race and playing a paladin more powerful than, than a race that doesn't give those bonuses and taking a paladin. However, e even even though, um, if you know, I I'm explaining this and saying these are the races that are best for the paladin, these are the races that don't work super well with the paladin. 
by all means, still play those. Um, if you're someone who cares about being powerful and, and, and min-maxing and being an optimizer in Dun Dungeons & Dragons, that's fine, that's awesome, this section is for you. This is for me to help you out figure out how to make a really powerful or stereotypical paladin. But if you're someone who, who wants to make an interesting paladin, one that really hasn't been seen before, one that's kind of unique, then by all means, play whatever race or background you want with, with a paladin. Um, you can still create a super interesting, fun character with those choices, um, but this is just for those who want to create a powerful or stereotypical paladin. Um, so, because paladins primarily use strength, uh, that, that's their primary ability because they use strength for attacks, um, then you want something with that gives a bonus to strength, and uh, they also want high charisma. Um, they use charisma for spellcasting and any magical effects that their features provide. Um, those will use their charisma, so you're also going to want high charisma. So the best race for Paladin, basing off of those two things, is Dragonborn. Um, Dragonborn give plus two to strength and a plus one to charisma, uh, so they are probably the best race when it comes to ability scores for Paladin. Also, uh, if you're kind of using the, the culture... Uh, of the Dragonborn as explained in the player's handbook, as like in the Forgotten Realms world, um, then Dragonborn also fit pretty well into the Paladin archetype. Um, just kind of their their loyalty and their uh, their bravery and all that kind of stuff that comes with the, the Dragonborn kind of culture um, described in the player's handbook. They also work pretty well with Paladins thematically, uh, not just mechanically. Um, Mountain Dwarves or Half-Orcs are also good if you want to make more combat-focused paladins because they give bonuses to strength and constitution. Uh, and then half-elves or tieflings can make better magical-focused paladins. Um, so if you want, like, the, the right-in-the-middle balanced paladin, you take a dragonborn. Want to be more on the big, strong, weapon-wielding kind, I would go my mountain dwarf for half-orc. If you want to go more on the magical, mystical side, I would go with half-elf or tiefling. Um, now, races such as elves and gnomes probably make for the least powerful Paladins, just because they don't really provide any bonuses. And then, of course, human. Humans are great for every class, because they get a plus one to everything. Now, the stereotypical background of a paladin will probably be an acolyte, right? Someone who grew up in a temple or, or in some kind of religious place. Um, once again, paladins don't necessarily have to follow a religion or a deity, necessarily. Most do, um, in, like, pop culture and in, in any, like, official, like, Forgotten Realms published story or anything like that. Um, typically paladins are, are religious characters who follow a deity, um, but you don't have to. You can, you can also be, just be a paladin and follow, like, an order, or follow, you know, j just take an oath and follow, like, a, an organization. You don't necessarily have to follow a deity. Even so, most do, so Acolyte's probably the most stereotypical background of a paladin. Um, in lesser cases, it might be noble or folk hero. Actually, in the player's handbook, during the quick build section, uh, it says, make strength your highest, right, then followed by charisma, like I mentioned, and then it says, choose the noble background. I, I'm not really sure about that. I think the Acolyte background works a little better for Paladin, um, just when it comes to kind of the stereotypical Paladin. Now, in the section on backgrounds in the Player's Handbook, uh, in the section where it talks about the Noble, there is kind of a, a, a subsection, a little box that describes Knights, which is kind of like a variant Noble background. Um, and Paladins are mostly Knights. They are the Knight archetype, powerful uh, soldiers of, of a certain order um, or religion, who fight for a cause, that's kind of what a knight is. So if you're kind of, like, if you want to go for more of that knight character, then yeah, Noble would probably be the best background. Otherwise, I'd say Acolyte works as well. The least stereotypical would probably be, like, Guild Artisan or Sage, um, just because, you know, Guild Artisan is someone who's kind of just, like, worked, whether, like, they're a cobbler or an architect or whatever it is, whereas Paladins are typically raised as soldiers and holy warriors and, and, and such like that. And a Sage 
could work maybe if you're more of like a priest character, but then in that case, you're probably more of an acolyte. Um, sages work for more like wizards, learned characters. Um, paladins are in the action. They're holy knights of an order. Okay, the first uh, spot, uh, feature I want to spotlight is one called Lay on Hands. So this is actually one of my favorite concepts in 5th edition, what they do with Lay on Hands. Basically, this is a healing ability that paladins get at first level, and it uh, gets uh, increasingly stronger every time they level up. What it is, is a pool of healing, uh, which the paladin can draw hit points from and then heal anyone they touch with. So this pool of healing, this kind of metaphorical almost pool of healing, uh, has an amount of hit points in it equal to five times your paladin level. Um, so the more you level up, every time you level up, you get five more hit points into this pool. You can use your action to touch yourself or an ally and take an amount of hit points from this pool, subtract it from the pool, and then add it to whoever you touch's health. Um, I just, I really like this ability a lot. I like the concept of the ability. I think it's really cool. Um, it's not similar, you know, it's, it's, it's different from all other kind of healing spells and stuff in the game, which is like, oh, roll 1d8 plus this, that's how much healing point, that's how much hit points they were getting or whatever. This is something like you have a set number, you, you're not rolling any dice, you know what you're doing, um, and you can kind of manage this pool wisely, and I, I just really like the concept. Um, now, Lay on Hands gets pretty strong <laughs> in later levels. Um, even in earlier levels, uh, even if, if, if you're at first level, using your action to heal someone for five hit points and you're not even like a cleric or anything not even like using a spell slot is just just pretty powerful um and in later levels you know obviously when you're like 15th level um how much is that that's like a ton what is that 75 hit points you have in there using one action and healing someone 75 hit points with just one action and not even expending a spell slot is pretty crazy. Um, so land hands is, is definitely a powerful ability, and I, and I like it a lot. But it's also not super overly powerful, like um, some other abilities in the Paladin class. Um, <clears throat> I also just really like the concept, as I said, of the, this pool. And I actually designed a homebrew Paladin subclass of my own, um, which replaced the lay on hands ability um, with an ability called Bloody Hands, where instead of drawing hit points from the pool to heal, you draw hit points from the pool to deal extra damage on attacks. Um, just because I really like this concept a lot, and I think that was really cool. Um, Lay on Hands is also just an iconic Paladin ability. It's been with the Paladin, I'm pretty sure, since 1st edition. Um, it'll probably be with the Paladin since D&D dies. Um, it's, it's, just, it's a classic ability. I like it. It's balanced. It's solid. Lay on Hands is really cool. Okay, next feature spotlight is on Divine Smite. Now, this is one of the most broken class features in the entire game. <sighs> Divine Smite gives Paladins the ability to expend a spell slot to deal extra radiant damage on a weapon attack. So for no action cost, this doesn't use their action, their bonus action, their movement, nothing. This is for free, for a free action. Expending only a first level spell slot allows Paladins to deal 2d8 extra damage. That's absolutely insane. Now, for each spell slot above the first, you increase the damage by 1d8. Now, you can only do this to a maximum of 5d8, but even so. Now, at later levels, Paladins can use this basically on every attack to deal stupid amounts of damage. Because when you get to high levels as a Paladin, though you don't have as much, nearly as much spell slots as the spellcasters and the party like clerics or wizards, you still have a substantial amount. I mean, even by 10th level, you have 10 spell slots. Four first level, three, three second level, three third level. And... That means, like, basically every single turn, you can be expending these spell slots and dealing tons and tons of extra damage. Um, stupid, stupid amounts of damage, really. Now, I know, because I had two paladins in the party last campaign. Um, so here's the thing. 
Real quick, <laughs> tangent real quick. I think paladins are cool. I really like the concept of following the, the order and following this these these tenets and stuff. I think that's really cool. I like the flavor of them. Um, the, the classic lawful good paladin trope is just a really great trope. It's a really great character in, 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 in fantasy and genre fiction. I, I like paladins a lot. However, paladins are very strong. Um, they are probably the most powerful class in the game. I, I'm not super sure. I haven't played a ton with every single class. Um, but definitely on, on the more powerful side. Um, so because of this, yeah, they have lots of features that are really powerful. And Divine Smite is one of them. Um, here's the thing. With Paladins, um, they don't really necessarily have to be really strong. They can actually be pretty balanced with the rest of the party. But if the person who's playing the Paladin is someone who's kind of an optimizer, or someone who reads up a lot on the rules and knows how to create a really strong character um, by picking the better feat or, or, you know, picking the best subclass or whatever, the Paladin can become really, really, really powerful. Now, I know this because in my last campaign, at one point I had two Paladins in the party. Um, one who was basically paladin for most of their levels, and they had taken a couple levels in fighter, and another one who was about half levels of paladin and half levels of a noble class. Um, it was like this kind of homebrew class uh, from a thing I kickstarted. Uh, it, it's beside the point. Um, but they, I basically had two people with quite a lot of levels in paladin, um, and they are just very strong. I ha so I, I have lots of experience with, with my players playing paladins. And yeah, they're, they're stupid strong. We had to nerf this ability, Divine Smite, um, to only 1d8 damage per spell slot instead of just expending a, f a first level spell slot and getting 2d8 extra radiant damage. It's insane. Um, we had to nerf a ton of other abilities as well um, because Paladins are just really, really strong. Now, once again, if you're just kind of a casual player, you're not a super optimizer or, or whatever, then Paladins maybe not won't come across as super strong. But if you're someone, and, and this is not a bad thing, but if you're someone who cares about being an optimizer and such, you're going to find being a paladin is very, very powerful. You're going to stay alive a long time. You're going to be buffing your allies. You're going to be dealing tons of damage. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're a DM, you may want to, depending on if how crazy the person who's playing the paladin gets, how much they optimize, or if you're a paladin, you just may want to have a discussion and maybe nerf some of their abilities just because the paladin is, is quite strong. And this ability right here, Divine Smite, the one that they get at second level, is, is very strong. This is one of the things that leads to them becoming a very powerful class. Definitely at the later levels where they can be using this every single turn. Very strong. So, just want to make that point real quick that Paladins are, are one of the stronger classes in the game. Okay, the, the third uh, feature I want to spotlight is actually kind of multiple features I've just kind of smushed together. So, like I've mentioned before, Paladins have a couple different aura features, such as an aura of protection or an aura of courage. Basically, these are auras around the paladin uh, that are always active. So as long as the paladin con is, is conscious, um, these auras are always active, uh, always active, and they grant nearby allies and the paladin themselves passive abilities like immunity to the frightened condition, or yeah, a bonus to all saving throws. <laughs> yeah. So at sixth level. Um, whenever you or a friendly creature within 10 feet of you must make a saving throw, they gain a bonus to the saving throw equal to your charisma modifier. <clears throat> yeah, you heard that right. If your party sticks together and is within 10 feet of the paladin, they all get a bonus, probably what, at 6th level it might be a plus 2 or plus 3 bonus, to all their saving throws. And the paladin gets this himself as well. Now, they will pick up 
tons of auras um, as they go along. They get a couple auras just as they progress in level just normally, and they get tons of auras uh, depending on the subclass they choose. Um, so at the higher levels, your paladin is emitting like three different auras at the same time. Also, when you get to certain levels uh, higher up, the uh, radius of these auras increases from like 10 to 30 feet, which is pretty insane. Now, auras are very powerful. And uh, guess what? Imagine how much more broken they become when there are two damn paladins in the party, giving all party members a plus 10 bonus to all saving throws. Real fun. <laughs> no, but in, in all seriousness, um, last campaign, like I mentioned, I had two people playing paladins, and they both had these different auras, which means that everyone that was in within both the auras got like a plus 10 to all their saving throws. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bonkers. It was it was pretty, pretty insane. Um, so yeah, uh, not only are these auras pretty powerful when you just have one paladin in the party, having more than one paladin in the party makes these auras really, really strong. Um, but yeah, I just, I like the idea of auras that like paladins are always kind of just emanating this thing of leadership and, and like inspiration for their allies. Um, I'm going to talk about this more later on in the episode, but I really just do like the idea of paladins being like leaders and inspirers, and a lot of their features kind of adop uh, ad adopt that and, and reflect that um, that mentality because of the way like, you know, anyone close to the paladin is getting a bunch of saving throws, they're immune to frightened condition, all that kind of stuff. Also, anyone within the, the next to the paladin is going to be nearby so the paladin can touch them and heal them. And I just, I, I think the, the flavor of like a leader... Inspire Paladin is really strong, and I really do like how the features reflect that. Now, on a note of auras, going back to kind of that thing I was saying about how you may want to, like, nerf Paladins or, or figure out, um, you know, a way to make them more balanced with the rest of the classes, one thing that you can do is have, like, the Paladin player at the beginning of their turn choose which aura is going to be on for that round, or something like that, um, because having, like, all of these different auras just always on is it can, be, can be really strong, but maybe cutting it down to, like, you have to choose one of these auras every round, which one you want to be active or whatever. I, I think that could, that could balance it out a little more. Okay, let's get into the subclasses. Um, the Paladin has three subclasses called uh, Sacred Oaths. And let's start with the first one, Oath of Devotion. This is kind of your classic righteous knight in shining armor um, kind of Paladin. Um, their tenets, their, their rules that you follow as, as a uh, Paladin who has taken the Oath of Devotion is honesty, courage, compassion, honor, and duty. So, you know, your typical kind of white knight, lawful good paladin. The features you get from being this subclass are pretty boring. Um, they're just like some buffs to attacks and like protecting from evil and stuff kind of like that. They're good l power level wise. They're, they're balanced, um, but eh, they're, they're kind of boring. Nothing's really special about them. Um, but if you want to play kind of that typical white knight, classic lawful good paladin, Oath of Devotion is for you. Um... Second one is Oath of the Ancients. These are like nature, fae-themed paladins. Um, so their tenets and rules are kind of based off of protecting and fostering nature and destroying the evil that's trying to, to take over nature or whatever it is. They get a really weird variety of abilities. Uh, some is like being able to like create entangling vines. Another is like resistance to magic. Another is staying alive longer. There's not a super common thread that connects these features, um, but they're pretty cool and, and they're pretty balanced. Um, one of the paladins in my last campaign took this, this, the Oath of the Ancients, and, um, the ability they get at 7th level, which means they get them and everyone in, within this aura, um, has resistance, has resistance to damage from spells, 
<laughs> the main enemy, uh, the, the basically the whole enemy race of that campaign, the main campaign antagonist, this whole race of villains, were all spellcasters. <laughs> and so the one paladin who got this ability and everyone within their aura getting resistance to spell damage was crazy. Uh, very, very strong. Because they were just fighting tons of spellcasters because those were the main antagonists. Um, but, you know, the, depending on what kind of campaign you're playing and who or who who they'll be fighting a lot, this might not necessarily be super strong. Uh, okay, the final one is the Oath of Vengeance. These are paladins who care about punishing evildoers about all else. Um, and, you know, for people who want to be kind of like a little more edgy, they want to play that kind of classic lawful good paladin or like a nature-themed paladin. They want to play someone a little more edgy and dark. Um, then Oath of Vengeance is a good one. Their tenets are just like, no mercy. Uh, take revenge by any means necessary. But it, it, it's not evil necessarily you know it, it's like stamping out it, it's like go go after evil go after darkness but go after in a spirit of vengeance um so they can still be kind of good or neutral aligned uh paladins um without being too evil um but still being kind of edgy and dark um their abilities really mess up someone's day um basically all the different abilities have to do with like choosing a like a, an individual enemy during a battle and you just get all kinds of bonuses to, like, when you attack that enemy and stuff. Um, so, the a Paladin with the Oath of Vengeance can just kind of, every battle, just, like, choose one enemy and just really just screw up that enemy so hard um, with all the different abilities. Which I, I like. I think I think that's pretty cool. And, and it makes sense because they're, like, going after a singular enemy um, or whatever. Um, also, I should mention that each of these oaths, depending on the subclass you choose, uh, you get access to a couple new spells at 3rd, 5th, ninth, 13th, and 17th level. Um, like a couple other kind of subclasses uh, in, other, in other classes, you can access to some new spells. And, like, the spells you get from being Oath of Vengeance are, like, Bane, Hunter's Mark, you know, stuff like that, which which means you're just honing on them. You're going after them. Um, so that that's pretty cool. Now, I should mention, uh, this is something I don't like about the 5th edition Paladins, is that you choose your subclass, you choose your Sacred Oath at 3rd level. Now, I, in general don't like that most people have to choose their subclass at third level. There are some classes like Cleric, uh, where you choose it at first level, a uh, Cleric and, well, no, I think Wizard chooses it at second level. Um, but for most classes, you choose your subclass at third level. For some, it's not too bad. Um, for, like, a Fighter or, like, a Ranger, it doesn't matter. No, actually, Ranger kind of does matter. But, like, for a Fighter... The, the, the subclasses aren't super defined thematically or flavorfully that getting it at the third level doesn't change your character that much. Um, but for, like, a paladin, the whole point of the paladin is based on this oath and these tenets and these rules that they follow. And choosing that after already playing, like, eight or ten sessions in the game doesn't make sense to me. This seems like something you should take at first level, your character has already taken this oath, you already follow these rules, because it has a lot to do with the character, right? The, 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 the flavor and the theme of the paladin is based on these oaths, and you want to build your backstory and everything based on the on this oath, because it defines your character and, and the rules that they follow, and the, 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 the morality and everything. And choosing this at third level just doesn't really make sense. Same with, like, rangers. Um, you know, the, if you choose, like, the, the animal companion one, uh, I forgot what it's called, Beastmaster, uh, at third level, you just suddenly get a pet. Like, it doesn't really make sense. Um, but, like, if you'd chosen that at first level, 
then it makes sense that you can work this pet that you have into your backstory and make it a part of your character instead of just, you know, one day, the, the next week's session, this person suddenly has a, a pet that's, like, super loyal to them. It's just a little weird. Um, but the same goes for the, the paladins. This oath defines the character and matters a lot to them, and I think this is something that you should choose at first level. So, um, here's how to fix this. This doesn't mean you have to now create a first level feature for all these oaths and make that your paladins have to choose their oath, but I would say, have, if you're a DM or if you're a paladin, I would say choose your oath at first level. You just don't get any of its features until, like, third level and then seventh level or whatever. So, you still get the features at the same time as it is in the book, but you've already chosen your oath and your tenets at first level. Um, it just makes way more sense thematically and flavorfully. Unless you can somehow work it into the plot that by third level, the character makes a deciding moment in their life, or like works with a mentor NPC or whatever to create this oath, it just it doesn't really make sense. In rare cases, does this really make sense thematically? So I would say, if you're a DM and someone's playing a paladin, or if you're a paladin, choose an oath straight up at first level and build your character around it and such. Um, okay, so that's on the subclasses. Now let's get into playstyle. So, paladins are, like I've mentioned a ton, pretty freaking powerful. Um, and so if you are someone who wants to feel powerful and awesome in battle, staying alive, dealing tons of damage, a paladin is a great fit for you. Um, now, the fighter-like combat is can get boring pretty quickly. Um, you know, just move to the nearest baddie and swing sword and then buff set attack with magical and holy energy. I'm um, just doing that over and over again. Can get a little repetitive to some people and boring. Um, but the small amounts of spell casting that the paladin gets can shake things up a bit and make them a little more interesting and fun. Um, now, like I mentioned before, paladins make great leaders, and their abilities that help buff friends and stuff who are close to them just really mirror that. I just really like that a lot. Also, um, paladins like having high charisma, right? They use charisma for spellcasting and for all their different abilities, the, their, like, magical abilities. Um, but this means that the character has a high charisma, which means they have a commanding presence, and so they make for good inspirers and leaders. And I think, even though it's really never explicitly mentioned in the book that, like, paladins are great leaders and, and whatever, it's really never even mentioned in, like, the flavor aspects, um, everything kind of mirrors that. Um, them requiring a high charisma, them having all these abilities that help buff their allies and stuff who are close to them. I just, I, I really like the concept of that, and I think it works really well and fits into their abilities and everything. Um, now, if you like clerics but not really spellcasting, or you like fighters but want the thematic elements of an oath or a religion, paladins are also a good fit for you. Now, if you pl prefer playing cutthroat, backstabby, shady characters, the paladin format does not really fit well. However, with hard work and good role-playing, you can definitely create an interesting and fun character with that premise. But the whole thing about like following an like 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 a like an oath and following rules and stuff, it lends itself much more to more of a lawful, not necessarily good, but more of like a lawful, devoted character. So if you're like a more morally ambiguous, shady kind of character, you like playing those kind of like rogues and bards, Paladin just doesn't really have a format that works for you. I think there is a, a place where that is possible, depending on on making a really good backstory and just really creating a compelling character, and you can somehow make it, it work. But I think that's 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 pretty hard. Um, so, yeah, if, if you kind of fit into any of, any of the other things I mentioned, then Paladin is a great fit for you. Um, I mean, Paladins are just pretty fun, and, and they're pretty strong. I think a lot of people can have, have fun playing a Paladin. Um, 
But, uh, and, you know, I, I, I really do like the flavor of, of following that order and stuff that just really lends itself to lots of cool, fun story moments and character arc um, uh, pieces, and I, I, th I think that, that that's really cool. Um, a lot of the classes lack a, a really strong clarity when it comes to their thematic and flavorful capabilities, which is good for some. Like, the fighter should be thematically ambiguous. They shouldn't have, like, a super central ability or feature or anything that defines them in, in a certain way. Um, but something like the Warlock, you know, having that patron and, you know, that's a super big part of their character. That's, a, that's like, the whole point of a Warlock. And so your whole character, their backstory, the stuff, the role-playing, everything kind of comes down to this patron you build and how the DM deals with the patron if you, like, role-play with them or how you communicate with them. That's all, like, the patron has this, the, the, the Warlock has this very clear, obvious, thematic, and flavorful direction with the patron, and the paladin kind of shares that with, like, the oath and, and, and the, the, the tenets they follow. Um, and I, I do really like classes like that. Whereas things like the rogue and fighter are a little more ambiguous and stuff, which it works for what that those classes are trying to achieve. But for me, I like playing playing classes that, that already have this this kind of defined, um, um, you know, thematic element that, that I can work into my backstory and that matters a lot to my character and everything is kind of based off of. And that is true for paladins. Okay, you guys, uh, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I always love doing these class spotlights. They're always a lot of fun for me. Um, and today was pretty fun as well. Um, I know I kind of attacked paladins and made fun of them uh, just because I had been a DM with two paladins in the party. Um, but no, they are really cool and I really like them a lot. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Once again, if you want to keep up with the podcast, you want to have some say on what we do in the future, or just learn about the other stuff, really cool stuff we're doing here at D20 Academy, apart from the podcast, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at D20 underscore Academy. Uh, and of course, uh, refer this to your friends, people who you want to bring into D&D, people who already like D&D. Uh, me being able to reach other people and help them out with Dungeons and & Dragons and make their game better and, and help them with finding their character or honing their, their Dungeon Master uh, skills means a lot to me, and I, I really want to be able to do that. And once again, just a quick reminder, we have no podcast episodes the next two weeks because of Christmas and New Year's. But I will see you guys again first week of January, beginning of 2020. I'm super excited, you guys, um, and I will see you then. <laughs>